Welcome to our latest episode of Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series, where we talk about topics of interest to small business and what's going on in our local business community and economy. I'm going to shift gears a little bit with today's episode. Um, recently, we've been talking a lot about uh, politics and uh, the economy, and, and we're going to touch a little bit on that today, but we also want to um, talk about the entrepreneur story um, and you know what uh, types of experiences uh, our customers have had in, in their business endeavors and to do that we thought we would um, bring in Joe Callen who is a, uh, a longtime customer of the bank and, and friend of the bank and personal friend of, of mine uh, as well as Chuck Lai, who's also joining us today, who is, uh, I think you all know, is our president and CEO here at Enterprise. Joe was probably the youngest, one of the youngest entrepreneurs I ever met. Um, so I wanted to, to spend some time today uh, listening to his story as an entrepreneur and his experiences, uh, which hopefully you all as uh, business people and business owners can, you know, can glean some good advice. Um, from his experiences. And we are going to talk a little bit about his current role as uh, president and CEO of Busy Beaver, um, which is a home improvement uh, uh, chain uh, here in the region, uh, to talk about some of the current economic impacts in the retail sector and, uh, sector and on his particular business. Uh, but first of all, Joe, welcome. Thank you. Um, it's been a long time. It has. Um, in our former lives when I uh, prior to coming to the bank when I was working at the SBA and Joe was still a senior at uh, Slippery Rock University um, he came in and met with me at the SBA uh, with some ideas to be an entrepreneur uh, and needed some financing to make that happen um, so this starts I think even much earlier than the senior year of college because your family is uh, a group of entrepreneurs correct yeah, we've uh, come from a family of uh, small business owners, so it was uh, kind of in the blood. Yeah. So you kind of grew up with that mentality from your from your parents? I did. You know, my dad was a small business owner, and um, he uh, tried to invest in some different businesses that uh, we ran or assisted when we were younger, and uh, that spirit lived on, so yeah, remained uh, part of the blood going forward. Yeah. And not to turn too many people off, but, but Joe is a Philly native. <laughs> uh, I think with as much time as he spent in Western PA now, some of those allegiances sports-wise have probably changed. Yeah, I, I grew up in Philadelphia area, but I came out to Slippery Rock University in 1997, so graduated the Rock in 2000. Okay. So, kind of, you know, what lit the fire for you personally? Uh, in terms of, of, of wanting to own your own businesses? You know, uh, probably the ability or the opportunity to build something, be part of something. And um, uh, my uh, life as an entrepreneur started very early. Uh, but in my senior year of college, um, slip, uh, in uh, Slippery Rock, um, Rita's Italian Ice, which is a franchise out of Philadelphia, was expanding into Western, excuse me, <clears throat> Western Pennsylvania. And um, I uh, begged and borrowed enough money to put together to open my first franchise in Lower Barrel, which is where you're from, Dave. That had nothing to do, by the way, with uh, SBA's support of the, of the financing at that time, that it was right up the street for me. And, you know, I happen to enjoy my readers. <laughs> it's, uh, 
it's where we met and when I called you and begged you to approve a loan for me to uh, be able to open this up. And um, this store did great. This store started off very strong and, um, you know, in a franchise like that over a period of eight months, probably made about um, 40 grand between salary and some profit, uh, but with larger aspirations. I quickly came to the conclusion that I need to be a multi-unit operator. And so uh, uh, the next year I was presented with an opportunity to buy an existing location. And uh, that's really where I fell in love with the turnaround business, you know, taking something that wasn't working or financial issues and, and making it profitable. Right. And um, the next year I uh, started looking for our third location and came across an old Ponderosa restaurant in uh, Allegheny Township, Pennsylvania, across from Kiskey High School. Right. And um, that's when my I uh, was introduced to Chuck, and when our relationship with Enterprise uh, started, and still strong twenty years later. Yeah, and uh, good segue, Chuck. I think you probably remember the first, um, you know, transaction we looked at for Joe, and he was still fairly wet behind the ears, and uh, um, had some large aspirations. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of drive there, but you were you were young at the time, and that always makes us nervous in the banking business. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think it, suffice it to say that you know the amount of due diligence and work uh, and effort that you put towards uh, analyzing all your projects before you decide to move forward with them was kind of the the key for us uh, yeah. at that point. And I think that's <clears throat> kind of a hallmark of, of how you approach things. Yeah, so it's a double-edged sword. It's a compulsive nature, which is a good thing, not a bad <laughs> thing. But um, um, a lot of analytics to go forward with the uh, the properties, and can't thank Enterprise Bank enough for being a part of uh, of, of helping me get where I am now. So yeah, so you made that transition from you know food service franchise kind of you know day to day, um, you know putting the hours in type work to more of a real estate investment focus and that's that's really kind of on the two opposite ends of the spectrum from a you know how you approach and, and operate yeah it is so you know when I found that first property that Ponderosa really knew nothing about real estate matter of fact uh, when I put it under agreement I started trying to get some leases and uh, at the time it was a company called Rentway based out of Erie they were in the market across the street in a dilapidated center and uh, wanted to move over to the property that, that I was redeveloping. It was funny because the broker at the time, she's asking me all these questions and I'd have to tell her I'll get back to her. So I'd go and research what she's <laughs> been talking about and then come back to her. And uh, I never remember the one time she said, uh, well, I need your an LOD. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to get it over to you. So I had to look up LOD, what that even meant, number one. And then I, I took a piece of graph paper I drew the lines of their space and put the measurements on and sent it back to her. <laughs> and she called up a half hour later and she said, you're new to real estate, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, I am, but stick with me. I'm going to get this property done and, and get your store open and everything else. So um, knew nothing what I was doing, but uh, learned a lot on the way. And um, yeah, it was a, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And you actually parlayed that into, you know, <clears throat> A, a complete strip center purchase. Yeah, so that was um, let's see, that was two thousand two, I think, and then the next year we uh, put an expansion on the east side of it and uh, leased that to um, Subway, 
Verizon and a dollar store. Then put another expansion on the west side of it and leased at the movie gallery. Mm-hmm. So wound up with a 12,250 square foot center. Yeah. From that little purchase. So it was neat. Yep. And then uh, kind of the big enchilada that the bank had to swallow hard and take <laughs> was uh, uh, a strip center anchored by a Kmart. Yeah. Um, We're talking about names. Kind of interesting that kind of aren't in the market. Aren't even in the market anymore. Yeah. Movie <laughs> galleries out. Um, Kmart's out. But. Um, after I did that little center, I the, the center behind us was anchored by Kmart, and it had a vacant giant eagle. And uh, Dave, I'll never forget, I came to you and I said, hey, I want to buy this thing. I think it was six and a half million, and I need another million and a half for renovations and another half a million dollars for closing costs. I said, Joe, you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, but I think I got to figure it out. I got um, Peebles as an anchor, Family Dollar, um, uh, anytime fitness and uh, sure enough we uh, we closed it and uh, redeveloped yeah. that property Chuck what was your uh, that was a large loan for us oh yeah yeah point, we had participants we had yeah. a couple Multiple. of banks yeah yeah so um, that was another deal in Chuck's office and Chuck you gotta trust me on this one you gotta trust me I'm telling you I'm not gonna let you down yeah so Chuck you know you mentioned um, you know the, the work ethic what, what did you see in Joe back then when we, you know, really um, pushed the limits of what we could do from a risk perspective? Well, you, you know, for me, I'm, I'm always running around telling people, you know, if you want to see a definition of OCD, you come, you come look at me. Yeah. And Joe's kind of a clone of that. You know, his, <laughs> everything's in a certain way. Everything's analyzed. Everything's thought through. And, and honestly, that's the characteristic that we're looking for and um, and then you look at the the ethical characteristics the you know am I can stand behind my word am I family oriented am I am I workaholic um, you know all those things that go into the picture to make somebody successful and you know we kind of saw those whether he was working in the uh, Breeders Italian Ice, or whether we were in the real estate, or whether we moved on to the other things that he's done, you see that same principle just growing and maturing, and but those characteristics were the foundation, and they were there, and we saw that early on. And that's that what's that's what we always say in the bank. We want to build the foundation of the bank on with with people like that. Thank you. Yeah, and that point in our business, in the bank's business progression and business plan that was the largest credit we had ever done at that particular yeah. point mm-hmm. and uh, as chuck mentioned we actually brought mm-hmm. in um two other community banks to share the risk with us to get to get that particular deal done for me personally it was probably my coming from sba um probably my first large-scale real estate financing yeah. that, that i handled as a lender so thank you for well, that thank education you. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know um I was surprised, quite honestly, Joe, when, when you decided you wanted to get back into operations mm. of a business. Now, you've never given up the real estate component, and we'll talk about that in a second. But what what interested you in the in the Busy Beaver? You know, I Busy Beaver actually has a really amazing story. And it started in 1962. It was a lumberyard. And uh, two gentlemen uh, partnered up and developed the Busy Beaver concept. And... Um, you know, in uh, 1988, 
data bankruptcy um, uh, that was part of a much larger reorganization uh, under a conglomerate that they were owned by. But the, um, you know, they were the big box of their day of the 80s and 90s, uh, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, um, you know, I'd met their CFO, Nick, and I think at the time, Nick might have been maybe 70 and was the youngest of the executive team. So Chuck, their CEO, or their, their chairman was in Florida. Uh, the CEO at the time, I think, was in North Carolina. And uh, it was just this company that was somehow surviving um, without much leadership. So I you know, eventually said to Nick one day, I said, what are you, what are you guys going to do with this company? And he said, well, that's a good question. We're, we're examining what to do with it. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, I think I'm interested in it. You know, they had uh, 13 stores at the time and uh, did maybe $27, $28 million in sales and uh, never put a dime back into the business. So it was just surviving. And the more I dug into it, the more I just determined that there was such an opportunity. And it wasn't a franchise, which I liked. <laughs> so I was done with franchises, which meant that you had the opportunity to do whatever you wanted, basically. And um, in the, uh, October of 2013, we closed on the acquisition. And at the time... Uh, another, the, another meeting in Chuck's office. Another meeting in stock. Chuck's office. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I got to tell you, yeah, complete side note, but um, yeah, if it wasn't for you, Chuck, I, I wouldn't be here where I am right now. I mean, you took some real gambles on me and believed in me and uh, that you have no idea what that means. Um, so That's what makes it fun. It does, but um, and the challenge we had there is, you know, we had done real estate, and that there was no real estate. Yeah, there was no real estate. Just this operation. This right? was just operation. Yeah. Figure out a way to finance, um, and um, we we figured it out, um, and it, it worked out great. But at the time, uh, Busy Beaver had maybe 175 people, uh, 13 stores. And um, just it was just keep the train running, you know. Don't don't draw off the rails. And when we came in, you know, I brought with me a couple people that came from other businesses that I owned and operated. And we just started on the the internal. We just did the bunch of the you know uh, cost cutting that you would typically do with re you know uh, repricing contracts and things like that. And um, the wind up is is it turned into a uh, entity that was completely viable. Uh, scalable, had good guts, and uh, t you know today we're at uh, 25 stores and uh, almost 80 million dollars in sales. So it's uh, it's a complete turnaround story in uh, seven eight years. So you've almost doubled the number of stores since you took over. Yeah, almost. Yeah, we opened uh, uh, Delmont, Pennsylvania was number 25 this year. And I think the largest footprint store, right? A uh, second behind okay. um, uh, Mount Pleasant. Okay, but uh, been a great story. So, um, kind of bringing that into today's world, uh, great story, great success. Then we have this little thing called COVID yeah. that comes along, which you were kind of in a unique position. Busy Beaver was in a kind of unique position because you had, you know, a lot of adverse things happen around COVID, but a lot of positive things for your industry happen. Yeah. So. <clears throat> What happened with the uh, home improvement is that a lot of dollars that was being spent on entertainment travel stopped being spent on entertainment travel and came into home improvement. So people were redoing their houses, renovating them, redoing their outside of their properties, spending a lot of money. They were building offices because you weren't allowed back in the office. 
Um, they were building gyms because you weren't allowed to go to gyms. So we just had this unbelievable uh, influx of, of sales and new customers that we had never seen before. And uh, the interesting component of it is, is that we, we've actually maintained it. So those sales dollars have not gone away. So we've continued to grow. This year will be flat to last year, but those dollars haven't gone away. So it's actually interesting that our, our whole industry got this bump that has, seems to be sustainable. Uh, but it's messed with every part of the industry. Um, labor has been an issue. Uh, supply chain is an issue. Uh, inflation, this inflation's out of control. It's been an issue. So it's impacted every part of the industry. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit offline. I mean, this is, you know, obviously a busy sales season for you. Um, and you said that, you know, it was difficult. Uh, and in some cases, you weren't able to get the normal product that you one on the floor this time of year because of this continued supply chain issue. Yeah, I'll describe it this way. So if, if five years ago you were able to spend, have four people spending time sourcing product, you now need six people to source the same amount of product because you're always making changes. So it may be a change in terms of a brand, a substitute, a non-brand. Um, you may be guaranteed boats out of China for certain things and then they don't show up. Um, it, it's just, it's the whole supply chain is, is, uh, completely disrupted. Hopefully by middle of 2023, it'll be a little bit more stable. Uh, but even today we're, um, struggling to keep certain products on shelves, uh, because of raw material shortages. Yeah. And, and on the inflation side, I'm, I'm going to kind of defer to Chuck because, you know, we've had, he and I on here and offline have had a number of discussions about inflation. But um, from your perspective, Joe, how is this being this current inflation being digested by the consumer? It's um, so year to date, we're about eight point four percent inflation in our industry, and um, that uh, that hits home. So um, you know, lumber has certainly lumber and building materials has certainly seen the bulk of the um, impact uh, because people stopped doing product when materials are expensive. Yeah. So. You know, the up and down the aisle, the hardware type of sales uh, continue to be strong. Paint continues to be strong. Uh, but lumber and metal materials are starting to soften. Yeah. So, Chuck, interested in your perspective because, you know, we're sitting in a new podcast studio here where the bank just made a significant investment in the building uh, next to us uh, to, to support our subsidiaries and some other business services uh, we provide. I mean, what's your look at current status of, of, of inflation, maybe even just beyond retail and, and where things look like they're going in the new year? Well, there's fundamental um, forces that are affecting the supply and demand. And uh, I think uh, with the Fed tightening, they're trying to slow things down. But your government spending is still strong. And so, you know, you look at some of the other forces, you know, when you look at uh, energy, energy costs uh, are show themselves in everything. And if they're going up, they're taking money out of the economy. If they're dropping, then they're pushing up the economy. Uh, so you see that dynamic working in the picture now. Right now, I think you see wages as being the, uh, a driving force. There's a strong push for people like, um, I don't know if you know this, but like in California, you know, they've basically put in a law that says 
fast food workers and minimum wage in the, I think it's in two years is $22 an hour. So that's somebody who makes $46,000 a year flipping burgers. Yeah. Uh, if you think that's not inflationary, uh, you know, that's going to drive everything up all over the place. And so the way right now I see a lot of the signals as to whether inflation is going to subside or not, um, tying into wages and where that goes, you know, and you're seeing that struggle in the market right now, whether it's the railroad strike that was just settled by the president, um, but the pressures of job openings, you know, this is a time where the Fed's really been tightening a lot, and usually you see unemployment start to go up when you're trying to slow things down, but you're not seeing any movement in unemployment because there's more jobs out there than we have people to work. And so that fundamental push in the labor market is what's going to be the driving factor to pay attention to. And right now, I don't see there be enough of a slowdown to, to get that imbalance in place. And so I think that wage pressures are going to be part of the driving factor. So when you see the supply chain, I think those issues are waning so that they're less and less of a factor. Certainly housing has slowed down a lot, so that's showing itself to slow down. The Fed's still pushing hard and it was going to continue to, I think. And so those are all going in one direction and the other directions are going to be the wages pushing up and then how much government spending's going on. I mean, I think that has slowed a little bit, but, but we'll see. I mean, when you look at the amount of government spending, I, th I think that's really the straw that broke the camel's back where we have the huge inflation we have now. I mean, you get to the point that the government was giving people money even for outside the stated purposes. I mean, when you, when you have COVID hit and you want to help people, that's a good thing. And what are you doing? You're giving benefits to people in Social Security. Well... People in Social Security didn't get hit with the revenue decrease. They didn't. They didn't have to worry. They're not working to begin with, so they don't have to worry about not having a job. They're just getting paid from Social Security. So you opt that. That's nothing but inflationary. It's buying votes. Right. So if you have the prevalence, uh, you, you got to. It's like a fifty-fifty push when you look in Congress now, as far as spending is concerned, as to whether we pay attention to. Uh, inflation and back off on spending or whether we keep buying votes. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good spending that needs to be done, but a big part of the future will be as to whether whether we're doing that or not. I mean, here you look at the, the tuition situation where you're just saying, okay, you people don't have to pay back your loans. That has a dramatic effect on inflation and, and whether you're increasing activity or not. It's a significant liability for a lot of people. Um, and if you get rid of it, then it's the same as giving them money and, and, and handing it out. Right. And so, and, and then on top of that, in the future then, somebody's got to pay for that. So people like me that work two jobs to get the kids through school will now work some more to pay for back for somebody else's child. Um, you know, that kind of mentality is in the system now and if it's prevalent it's going to push inflation up and if it start people start to see what it does and if there's a balance here then they'll pull back so we'll see how that works in the next couple of years my anticipation is with there now being a split republican democrat congress where you know the spending can't get pushed through no matter what 
I think there's going to be less heavy government spending, and so it's going to tie back into the main thing to look at is is the wage pressures. And if the wage people stop grabbing for increase in wages, then you're going to see inflation go away. But if you see the pushes hard for that and the, and, and the psyche keep pushing for more that way, then you're going to see inflation continue and breaks have to be put on in other areas. Mm. So getting back to you know that impact on Busy Beaver, and unquestionably it's all a challenge, but you know, what do you see is, is the bigger challenge in terms of this inflation market? Is it on your your goods or is it on your labor? Um, or is it, I mean, obviously it's a little bit of both, but... Yeah, it, it's, it's really both. So wages obviously impact how you develop margins. So um, it's really difficult to address one without the other. Certainly um, <clears throat> the wage pressure you know, we had 64 positions open, I believe, as of Monday uh, at Busy Beaver. And none of them are $10 an hour positions, right? right? None of them are opening level entry positions. So, um, you know, we, um, you know, we hope that um, uh, at some point as uh, spending subsides, that it brings people back to employment and fills more positions. But at the end of the day, this can't keep, it, it can't keep the pace it is. Right. It's just, it's not sustainable. So, you know, one of the, I guess, the keys um, to uh, dealing with inflation from the customer's perspective or even from your employee's perspective is, is culture mm-hmm. uh, and value. Yeah. Um, and I know you're a big culture guy. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what makes Busy Beaver different than a, than a standard big box retailer? Sure. Yeah, we, we realized uh, actually before COVID that, um, you know, we need to work on culture. Um, and, and when you, when people talk about working on culture, it's, um, you know, I think the first thought is, you know, a lot of wages and things like that, monetary incentives. The reality is, is it's, it's a, a lot of things that go into a great culture. And, um, you know, one of the things that we, we certainly put a lot of effort towards is communication. People want to feel a part of it. Uh, we actually develop committees, uh, for specific parts of the business, uh, seasonal, sales desk committee, things of that nature to help uh, keep associates engaged in what we're doing and where we're going. <clears throat> but also, um, we take care of our associates like no other company. So um, uh, in addition to wages and regular benefits, you know, at, at Busy Beaver, uh, we made sure that everybody's got a hand for Easter. We made sure that, um, you know, we send home um, baskets of fruit with them for, the, for Christmas holiday. Um, we send home pretty much every major holiday, usually around once a month, we send something home with them to make sure, you know, they know we care about them and that they're, you know, part of Busy Beaver and we recognize that. And, um, you know, the other thing we do is, um, there's so many wonderful stories out there about associates taking care of, of other associates. Uh, but there's a, a story I love. There's a long time, a long time associate we had at Catania, Pennsylvania. And um, I was on a store visit there, and she came in late. And, and it wasn't like her to come in late. So um, it's the manager, you know what, you know, if there's something going on. Yeah. And she said there was. She said that her, her, you know, her husband had passed a few years earlier. Money was a little tight, and that um, her washer and dryer broke. So she's now going to a laundromat at night to do laundry. So um, I coordinated with the time. Her name was Robin, the uh, district manager. And uh, we went the couple days later, picked her up a washer and dryer, took it to her house, 
took the old ones out, hooked the new ones up, and, and, and she was set. So, um, you know, it's that type of uh, culture that I want to establish for our people. Uh, it doesn't just happen with me. You know, our vice presidents do it. Our district managers help our associates. Um, there's so many great stories out there. But, um, yeah, we, we focus a lot on culture, and um, I think it's paying off. Yeah. How's that translate into the customer experience at Busy Beaver versus it, some of these um, others? Yeah, so it, my, I believe that if I take care of my people, they'll take care of our customers. It's that simple. So, um, you know, our customer scores, um, our, our shop scores are always well above of average, and we set high standards for those. And our customer service is at, at top in the industry. Yeah, how do you track that? A couple different ways. One, surveys, and two, uh, we have a formal mystery shop program. So we hire a company to go in and they shop it. They take a survey, they fill it out. Um, based on that survey, it gives a ranking, you know, a, a score. And um, every associate, by the way, is is um, uh, compensated on that score. So we give away a buck a point, basically. Mm. So they can get 160 points. Um, so on, on a good shop, you know, they can earn $160 as a bonus between somebody in sales, somebody in the, the cashier, and somebody in the back area. Yeah. Chuck, we can institute that for uh, RM visits to borrowers. <laughs> um, you know, so you've had a lot of very experience. Um, you know, what are the words to the wise for uh, aspiring entrepreneurs or people yeah. already in business? So I've got, um, of my five kids, um, some of them really want to be in business someday, and they're young, so it's funny to watch, but I... I tell them, you know, number one thing is hard work, effort. Uh, you've got to put in the hard work. Um, I jokingly tell my wife, wife I'm raising my kids to be warriors, and I am, um, but for good reason. And, um, you know, the, uh, unfortunately, there's, this, there's this, this notion that you can just coast by and live off, um, you know, the government or whatever other way you find a way to live. But, um, you know, the reality is, is people that go out there and work hard have a, a complete competitive advantage over people that don't. Um, you know, when I first started off, I don't, I probably put in 80 hours a week, you know, a lot of hours. To yeah. Make sure the business got off and running and was on a good path and that I didn't miss anything. And um, um, even today, you know, our entire executive team, our middle management team, our, 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 our directors, Everybody, it's a great group that works very hard and, and a lot of different backgrounds. But uh, the number one uh, uh, characteristic you have to have in entrepreneurship is hard work. The second to me is you got to believe in what you, what you want to do. So, you know, if you go out and you have a bad year, that doesn't completely throw the business out the window. It just means you have to adapt and change. And um, if you don't have that ability to believe in what you want to do and believe in where you want to go, uh, nobody else will. Um, so when you have employees that are with you or <clears throat> other investors that are following you, man, you have to you have to be able to paint a picture that um, you know paints a path to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third and final thing is is um, you've got to have thick skin. <laughs> I mean, it is just uh, entrepreneurship is is not for the faint of heart. Um, things come at you every day um, that you have to deal with. Some good, some not so good. Uh, but you got to have thick skin to keep mulling on and take the punches. I get you. So Chuck, we look at a lot of we look at a lot of businesses. And Joe just gave you kind of his his three let's call them personality traits that yeah. an entrepreneur needs to have. You know, uh, what do you see? What do you look for 
um, when we're making investments on behalf of small business. It's very <laughs> similar. I think I think you know Joe's a good example of what we look for. So his yeah. philosophy kind of mirrors what ours is. Um, I think it's uh, very similar to when we started the bank. It's, it's the same concept, and the people that started the bank were all small business people, entrepreneurs, and it's that character and that mindset that we're looking for. Um, that's, I think, what makes us different than other banks. Everybody else is looking at the income statement for the last three years or five years and how strong is the cash flow and that, and we look at something different when it's the startup environment. and. Uh, we have our challenges with regulators because we do business that way, but that uh, in the long term, when you get to see the successes that you can be a part of, uh, makes it worthwhile. Yeah. I think, you know, I totally echo what both you guys just said. There's one other thing that I see as, me personally, that I see as a trait that's really important is know what you don't know. Um, and surround yourself with the people that do know. Um, you know, how often we see at our, our side of the table looking at loan requests, somebody is a very good technician or they're a very good marketer or they're a very good financial manager or they're a very good operator. But um, there's a lot of disciplines involved in running a business, particularly at the scale you're at now. So having the right team around just got to be key. Yeah. So starting off as an entrepreneur, you, you wear a lot of those hats and unfortunately <laughs> you make a lot of mistakes. That's, that's the reality of it. Um, but yeah, as, as you grow and get bigger... Um, um, I, I know my weaknesses are, and I know where I need you know, the, the, the experts to fill in. And I think we've done a great job at that at Busy Beaver. Um, we have a, a great team. Some of them are you know individuals that have been with Busy Beaver for 30 years. Some of them are graduates of CMU. Uh, we've got a very diverse team, but a very, very good team. Yeah. Well, we've greatly appreciated the customer relationship. Greatly no. appreciate the... Uh... Uh, the insight and the personal friendship that we, the three of us, have had over a number of years. So, uh, I think everybody's familiar um, with Busy Beaver in our region, but if they're not, uh, website's busybeaver.com. Busybeaver.com, 25 locations in three states. Uh, Excellent. So, and growing. Yep. So, great place to do your Christmas holiday shopping. <laughs> thanks, Chuck, Steve. Joe, thanks a lot. Happy holidays Pleasure. to both of you. Merry Christmas. Uh, and... Uh, for those of you that are interested uh, in future episodes of Inside the Vault, uh, you can catch us on all the major podcast platforms and in video format on YouTube. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for future episodes, you can email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. Thank you.